that you are here. We're going to continue our series this Memorial Day weekend. Glad that you are here. Some of you, uh, maybe this week you've been traveling, or you've got friends or family that have been traveling, and, and I'm just glad that you are here as we dive into this awesome book, as we've been studying the book of Philippians, and we've just been dissecting it, just pulling it apart, just kind of going verse by verse throughout this awesome book that just spoke to us, and uh, we're going to continue that. We're in Philippians chapter number 3 this morning, Philippians chapter number 3, and as is our custom around here, if we could stand out of respect for the Word of God, there's so much in this world that we stand for, we give honor to, and we respect, and I'm just old school that way, where I still like to give respect to the Word of God, and uh, just bear with me, we won't be standing long, but uh, we're going to read just 10 verses this morning, and uh, you can follow along on your uh, your bible your ipad or if you got a smartphone or something you know and uh, you can use that that's fine as long as the ringer doesn't go off our ushers are trained to put you in a chokehold if your phone goes off i'm just kidding they're not eugene's laughing at me he's like no i'm not ready to do that but um uh we we hope you have it on silent that's always a good thing or on vibrate all right uh, Philippians chapter number three, verse number one, the apostle Paul starts off this verse and he kind of uses a funny word. He says, finally, my brethren, it's interesting because we are exactly at the halfway point of this book. And he's saying, finally, you know, he's a preacher when he says, finally, it doesn't mean anything. Doesn't mean he's wrapping up. Doesn't mean he's slowing down. That means Jack squat. He's just saying, finally, as if to give them almost false hope. Okay. So around here, our services, they go about two hours. No, I'm just kidding. They don't, they don't. We'll go, you know, a decent amount of time because we've got lots going on, and I know you've got a lot to go on, going on. But it, Paul, Paul says, finally, my brethren, and uh, he'll use that word finally two more times before this book is over. So he really doesn't know how to shut it down. But uh, he says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. And for some of you that are afraid of dogs, you're like, oh, man, Bible got real practical real quick. What, what's up with this? We're going to dissect that. That's not talking about beware of literal four-legged man's best friend creatures, okay? That's not what it's there for. Though if um, this is my wife, she would say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good verse, beware of dogs. She's not a big fan of dogs. And I say that's because Filipinos eat dogs. That's why you don't like them, okay? So, uh, you know, and uh, sorry if that offends you. I apologize. Apologize. Just trying to wake you up this morning. It's okay. It's church. We don't have to be too formal, all right? It's okay to laugh. And uh, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. And aren't you glad your children are next door in Southridge kids because then you don't have to explain circumcision to them. You know, you don't trust me. You just don't want to have that conversation right now. Uh, verse number five, circumcision, the and circumcised the eighth day or verse number four, excuse me. The, and then he's talking about then the apostle Paul jumps into where he has his confidence he says and have no confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he hath might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, 
persecuting the church, touching righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless that I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, verse number 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. This morning, we're going to look at one topic and is how to live before you die, how to live before you die. But let's ask God's blessing one more time on the word before we dive in this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is powerful. I thank you that it is perfect. And I thank you that it is personal. It gets us right where we need. And I pray this morning that your word would do a work in our hearts. I pray that it would encourage, that it would guide, it would instruct, and it would help us as we think about these truths, what the Apostle Paul is trying to teach us this morning, how it can help us make a better climate, how it can help us transform other people's lives. And I pray that you'd bless the word. I pray that you would bless the hearer. I pray that you would remove distractions. I pray that you would allow us to lock in and zero in on your word, that it would speak to us. And all those that love God said, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I appreciate it. We are in part six of our series entitled Climate Change because you and I have the ability to control the climate around us. You say, what do you mean? You have the ability with your personality, with your attitude, with how you're feeling to walk into a situation and make it better or make it worse. And for some of you, you'll be having a great day and somebody will make it worse or they'll make it better. Because why? We have the ability to step into a situation and through our personality, through our smile, just through a warm greeting, you have the ability to change somebody's climate. Now, not only do we have the ability to change somebody else's climate, we understand that. You have the ability to change your climate. You don't have to be a slave to your feelings. Yes, it is true. You can fight your feelings. Every feeling that comes your way, you don't have to engage with that feeling. You feel down, discouraged. You don't have to give that feeling much time. You really don't. But too often today, we feel like, no, 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 I need some other substance to help me get over this feeling. The reality is that substance helps you feel better for a moment. But once it's gone, then the other feeling comes back. And so we have to understand that the Apostle Paul is teaching a better way. He's teaching the believers at the church of Philippi, there is a better way to live life. And for some of you, that's the encouragement you just need right now, that there's a better way. You see, that gives me hope. That gives me the hope to understand that, hey, things may not be going as great right now, but there's a better way to be doing things. There's a better way I can have in my marriage. There's a better way I can lead my children. There's a better way I can lead my business. There's a better way. That should give us hope this morning because the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, Christians at Philippi, this church that I love, this church that I'm writing this letter to, this church that I'm passionate about, he's saying, hey, joy, rejoice, be happy, be glad, don't give in to these feelings, let's change the climate, let's change it this morning. And so we're looking at these truths, but the Apostle Paul in chapter 3, he starts, kind of starts out with a warning, and then he kind of gets kind of personal. 
The warning is this. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers. What does all that have to do with? Just by way of introduction, he's talking about this group of Jews called the Judaizers. And uh, they weren't a wrestling team. They weren't a traveling basketball team. No, what the Judaizers were, they were what you call legalists. You say, what do you mean legalists? They believed that, yes, Jesus Christ came. He died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sins. That's good, but that's not enough for your salvation. Problem, problem, anytime we try to add anything to Jesus, we just subtract. It doesn't work. You see, when you try to add anything to Jesus, you're missing out. You're going to come up with zero. You're going to come up with a loss. And here they're saying, hey, you got Jesus, that's good, but you you need to keep the law. And the biggest one, the biggest one, they said, hey, all the men, if you're going to be a part of the church, yeah, you got to get circumcised. I'm telling you what, I don't think any of the church growth gurus would come out and say that today. I, I just, I think that, that, that one just wouldn't work. I'm kind of glad Paul is writing to this. You know, that's kind of a good thing. And uh, uh, he's saying, you know, yeah, this is, this is what's got to happen. They got to keep these laws. They got to do this. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, wait a minute. You guys got to watch out for this. This is a young church. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, beware of these people that they want to add all these things to your Christianity. They want you to do all these extra things. And so the Apostle Paul is writing to warn them about these legalists. But then he dives into something very personal because he wants to teach these believers how to live. There's somebody who's going to teach him to, hey, got to add all these things. He's going to say, no, 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 here's the right way to live. So that's where we came up with our title, How to Live Before You Die. Someone has wisely said, if you live each day as if it's your last, one day you will be right. One day you will be right. You see, death is the great common denominator. We all have it. We all have it in common. For some of you, if you were to go to the doctor and the doctor were to give you a report or to say to you, um, get your affairs in order, that is code for the news isn't good. You need to say your last goodbyes. You need to um, get your affairs in order. You need to get the will prepared. You need to prepare to die. You see, the reality is one day we all are going to leave this earth. But I'm amazed that we're so busy living, we're so busy just enjoying life, we don't think about beyond the moment. We don't think about, wait a minute, I'm just living for myself, I'm living for security, I'm living for success, but you're missing out on significance. And you can have all the security, you can have all the success, you can have all the self-stuff, the things that you can acquire, the house, the car, the 401k, but without significance, what does your life really matter? Truly. And today, we, we, we kind of just think, no, 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 my identity, who I am, my wealth, my status, it's wrapped, wrapped up in what I got and what I, what, I, what I have, the things that I have. I talked to a guy yesterday, and he was like, you see my Mercedes out there? He says, that Mercedes, it's worth $100,000. My car's worth $100,000. I said, that's great. You see my Nissan out there? It's worth like $5,000. And guess what? I don't care. It's a car. But for him, his identity was wrapped up in it. It was all about that car. And for him, he couldn't see past the vehicle. He couldn't see beyond the vehicle. He couldn't see that, wait a minute, there's more to life than just these things. And that's where we get to. And the Apostle Paul is trying to say, hey, there's a better way to live, Church of Philippi. There's a, church, there's a way I want you to live. And we're going to see that. You see, death, and death is the destination that we all share. 
But before we get there, we need to understand how do we live? How should we behave? How should I act as a believer, as a new believer? What's the pattern that I should be following? Today, people are up in arms about, hey, you need to follow this pattern. You need to be like this, walk like this, talk like this, and and be like this. That's why for some of you, not that I'm well-versed in pop culture at all, but for some, that's why the hip-hop culture was so big. You said, why? What, what do you mean? I know I'm looking at a crowd. You're like, hip-hop culture? Are, you, you got the wrong church, you know? We, we, we be the wrong skin color for this, you know? And, uh, but uh, the reality is that's what the hip-hop culture took the world by storm is because it was all about expression, individual expression. It wasn't about uniformity. It wasn't about everybody uh, tracking like one. It was, uh, it was about a lot of self-expression. The music was self-expression. The clothing, the attitude, everything was about the self-expression that they wanted. And it, they, they refused to say, hey, we're going to do things like everybody else. And so that, that rose up in a generation that says that, that embodies who I want to be. That embodies what I want. And so you look at your teenager and you look at some people around you thinking, how are they into this stuff? Because of the self-expression, they're, they're saying, this is how I want to live. And the Apostle Paul says, hey, there's a better way to live. And I'm going to show you in this passage. And, and the Apostle Paul wanted to teach them how to live. You see, the Apostle Paul said, I started out living really for myself. He gives in verse number four. He says, everybody talks about, hey, their confidence. Everybody talks about, hey, what they've accomplished. And the Apostle Paul said in verse four, he says, hey, Everybody else, you have bragging rights. That's great. I've got way more bragging rights. And then he starts listing all of his accomplishments. He says, if any man thinketh that he hath, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I'm more. He's basically saying, if anybody thinks that they can work their way to heaven, he says, I can outdo everybody in the room. Anybody is what the Apostle Paul is saying. He's saying, I was perfect. I kept the law. And he goes into it. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. This is a big deal in their culture. And then he also said, of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews. He's saying, hey, my bloodline is pure. There's no watering it down. I can trace my lineage back to the original. I go all the way back. It is pure. He's talking about his pedigree. He's talking about what happened to him. He found a lot of identity and who he was and who he got to hang around and in his social status. And he says, he goes on to say, as touching the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisee took the law so literally they began to add to it. They didn't just have the Ten Commandments. They had thousands of commandments that they had to follow and they would keep these commandments to the letter of the law they would count how many steps that they had it was considered work and so they 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 were so meticulous about keeping the law they wouldn't sweep on the sabbath day because when you when you swept up the dust they would say that's like plowing some of you I know, you're not agricultural, but that's the olden days. They would have this thing, and the mule would pull it, or a cow would pull it, and they would tear up the dirt. And, they, and the law, it said, hey, to sweep is just like plowing, and uh, so, so don't sweep. And so they wouldn't, they wouldn't sweep on the Sabbath. They were so meticulous about the law. They were so meticulous about how they kept it. And the Apostle Paul was one of these guys. He says, I was a Pharisee by my own righteousness. I was, I was doing it my way, and I was making it. And he went on to say in verse number 6, concerning zeal he said you want to talk about my zeal how passionate i was about this thing he said i persecuted the church and when he talks about persecution in acts we read his story you can read how he would go in every city and he had the power by the pharisees to go and arrest people put them in jail and to have them executed he was there when the first martyr the martyr stephen in acts was uh, was martyred he was held the coats for the people that were going to throw the stones at him Imagine the Apostle Paul every time he got up to preach. You know what flashed in his mind? 
It wasn't like, oh, no, i got to make sure I have my notes right. wasn't make sure I got my PowerPoint working. wasn't to make sure the crowd was ready. wasn't to make sure people were pumped up. You know what was in his mind every time Apostle Paul got up to preach? The bloody, beaten body of Stephen because he just stood there and watched that happen. That's what went through his mind. And so here's this man, and he's getting up, and he's saying, hey, look, guys, if you think you've got righteousness, if you think you've got talent, if you think you've got a pedigree, I've got more. And he said, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. He said, you could go through the law. He said, I was blameless. That means you could go through each law, and the apostle Paul would say, put me on a lie detector test. I'll pass because I haven't broken one of them. Self-righteous, full of himself. But then in verse number seven, look at the shift that this guy takes. He says, but those things which were gain to me, those things which were important to me, those I counted loss. You see, the apostle Paul had gotten to the point where he said, I was just reaching for rejects. I was just reaching for the rejects. Everything about my life was just nothing. It was pointless. It didn't matter without Jesus Christ because I was reaching for something that was just nothing he even goes on to describe it even kind of somewhat a graphic way he says all those things that i thought were gained those are just dung those are just waste those are just refuse why because i was reaching for reject and we live in an area we live in a society that everybody is stretching and reaching for something you're stretching, you're reaching for that new promotion. You're stretching, you're reaching for that job. You're stretching, you're reaching for the newest vehicle. You're stretching, you're reaching for that next big sale. You're stretching, you're reaching, you're trying to grasp something else. And some of those things aren't bad, but some of the things that we're stretching or we're reaching for, if we were to get honest with ourselves, we're looking at it and we're thinking, what's this going to cost me? I, I may get this, but what will I lose in the process? Because every time you get something, you have to say no to something else. And in this area, I see too many times where we will say yes to, to our, our job and we'll say no to our children. We'll say yes to money and we'll say no to our spouse. We'll say yes to fun and enjoying life and we'll say no to God. Because every time you say yes to one thing, you have to say no to another. And so we're reaching for these things. And what I'm going back to is just like the Apostle Paul. He said, look, guys, I made it. I arrived. I had the T-shirt. And he says, I was reaching for rejects, guys. My whole life was spent in, in, in waste and in going after something that didn't matter. You see, just because you have a lot to live on doesn't mean you have a lot to live for. And that's what we need to come to grips with. What are we living for? I understand. You and I, we need to work a job. We got to pay the bills, all right? Don't just, oh, we'll let the house foreclose. I, I got a word from the pastor this morning. He gave me a word, honey. We don't need to work anymore. We just need to love each other. The kids, we just need to spend time. We're just going to go travel. We're just, and that's not the word you got from me this morning. The word you got from me is to look at your priorities and say, are these God-given priorities? Are these in accordance with God's word? Because God's word will say, hey, love your spouse. God's word will say, look after your family. God's word will say, take care of your responsibilities. You'll find that in God's word. But too often what we don't, find is we don't find the hey i've got to make it i've got to reach the top i've got to keep climbing keep working and what happens is we see lives that are just ruined and their lives are destroyed and you look at their families in the process and they're thinking no i wouldn't want wouldn't want to be a part of part of that peter marshall i put it in your notes said it is better to fail in a cause that will ultimately succeed than to succeed in a cause that will ultimately fail you see so much of our existence is Leaching after that next thing, the next promotion, the better score, the better job. And Paul is saying, wait a minute, I, w- I was there, guys. I was in that rat race. I ran it. 
I was constantly. And, I, and, and, I, and my job here, since God has brought me to the Silicon Valley, is to really kind of immerse myself in the culture and how hard people work. It's not just 50, 60 hours a week. It's 90 and 100 hours a week to your job. I mean, there's a reason your company offers free child care. They offer to do your haircut. They offer to feed you. They offer to do your dry cleaning. They offer to do your laundry. They offer their social activities. They want to own you. They do. They just want your life to revolve around that, com- that company, and it's just the, how it is. And you can just get involved in that and just think, yeah, I'll just, yeah, I'm in it. And all you do is you think about that job. And it, you're so immersed in it, and you're just thinking, this is my world. My world is this company. It's funny. You'll watch some weird sci-fi movies from, like, you know, 70s or 80s, and they'll look at the future and think it's so crazy. I think some of the stuff we go through now is kind of crazy. It's kind of weird. But we're just so reachy. We're just so focused on it. We're just missing out on the fact that it's kind of weird to have somebody else raise my own children. And I know immediately, as soon as I say that, some of you are like, careful now. I know. It's just kind of weird. I mean, it's funny that people will look at, look at my wife and I and think, you mean your wife has decided to stay home to raise your kids? Yeah, it's a value of ours. I don't get these years back. I don't get to see them have these moments at home. I don't get to see Austin run into his sister's room, smack her on the head with a spoon, and then run out laughing and giggling. I'm not getting those moments back. I don't get the moments to see Austin running to the pool, getting a big mouthful, running over to my wife, and just spraying water on her. There's just hilarious moments. I just don't get back. It's not like when he's 18, that's going to be cute. It's going to be gross. All right? And you say, well, when they're 18, I'll make time for them. They're not going to have time for you. And they're not going to have time for me. So right now I'm saying, like the Apostle Paul, hey, how to live before you die? Because once you die, it's too late. It's too late. I don't want to get to that point where somebody said, hey, you had the best intentions, but you never followed through. It's too late. There is such a thing as too late. Oh, man, I hate it when I'm too late. I'm hated when I'm too late to drop off the red box. I'm hated when I'm too late to drop off the tuxedo that I rendered for the wedding. I hate it when I'm too late for something. Why? Because there's always a penalty, isn't there? There's always a late penalty. You say, well, I'm really good at, at, at talking and, and wheeling and dealing. And I go to my Chase Bank, and they, they kind of re, they, they, they give me my 20 bucks back, and I was a little bit late on the payment. I was a little bit late on this, and there's always a finance charge. There's a finance charge on life. And I'm, my, my job this morning is not to make you feel guilty. No, no, this message is a positive spin. My message is for some of us this morning to say, hey, wait a minute. Yeah, God's given me time right now, this moment. What am I doing with it? It's time to say, hey, what am I, how am I stewarding this moment? You see, because not everything you lose is a loss. Some of you are like, oh, I lost my job. Is that all bad? Some of you are saying, hey, I, I, I lost this relationship. Is that all bad? Because the Apostle Paul said, hey, look, I lost some things, but it wasn't a loss. Look at him, verse number 7. But those things which were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. He said, those were a loss. And for some of you, you're looking at something, you're looking at, oh, man, we want to have that money. You know what, you're going to have to get creative, but that's going to open up some beautiful opportunities. Sometimes funny opportunities. 
Like, I'll do DIY projects, and when I do DIY projects, they never turn out quite like Pinterest or Facebook or everybody else's DIY projects. And I love my wife. She's so sweet. She'll pick the one nice part of my DIY projects and just make them look so good. You know, Photoshop it, edit it, and make it look nice. Like, uh, we did some wallpapering this weekend, but I had this beautiful idea. I said, honey, before we put up this wallpaper, you know, I don't know how long God's going to allow us in this house, but let's all get a magic, let's all get a Sharpie, and let's just write a message on this wall. And then when we put up the wallpaper, it'll be over the message, and then whoever takes it down, 10, 20 years from now, they'll get this beautiful message and have Austin sign it, have Megan sign it. We'll, we'll put the date on it. You and I will sign it. We'll put a little message that this was the Ermler home from uh, 2010 to whatever, you know, and it's going to be this beautiful moment. And Jade was just like, you know how when your wife has that, that look like, I'm going to go with this, but this is retarded. Like, I was thinking, I'm creating a moment here, you know, and I've just got the family together, you know, and I was just like, man, this is so great. In my mind, I was really just picturing, you know, National Lampoon's vacation where it, it seems really good, but this is going to go really bad, you know. And uh, my wife, she, she went, a submissive wife, she just went with it, and we put up the wallpaper, and I was standing back, and all of a sudden, I began to see something through the wallpaper. I was like, honey, what's that? I was like, looks like an M. It looks like an I C A I. Oh, it's my name coming through. It's bleeding through the wallpaper. Megan's name is bleeding through. Jane's name is all our stuff is just bleeding right through. So if you could see the room, like most of it is kind of nice. But you got this moment here. You're trying to steward these moments. You're trying to do something beautiful. But sometimes you you look at these things, you're saying, well, that was a loss. But then I look back and I'm like, you know what? It's not so much of a loss. Something beautiful in that. And for some of you, you may be looking at something that's lost in your life. And it's actually God bringing about something beautiful you know we don't mind losing something that doesn't have any value do we we don't mind you lose your wallet that's a problem you lose your phone that's a problem you lose your keys that's a problem some of you, you lose your kids and target and you're like whatever just keep walking baby just keep going faster faster they're finding us go 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 you know but man your cell phone no gotta find that some of you you leave your stuff in here and you come back in there'll be a movie playing and you're like digging in the seats and everything i was here for church oh did you lose your bible no i lost my phone i don't care about my bible you know and we find bibles all the time i'm like well okay all right you know and uh, so sometimes in our life and not everything you lose is a loss you see we need to start looking at what we've lost and say lord is this truly a loss is this truly God, you, you took this away, but what are, you, what are you bringing to me? You know, at first, you got to go back to the Old Testament. Abraham leaving his family, leaving his home country to go to a country that God says, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll tell you when you get there. That was a loss for them to leave family. But it wasn't truly a loss. You know, there are some things where you're looking at your life this morning, you're thinking, that was a loss. I, I, I missed that relationship, but was it truly a loss? But then not only not everything you lose is a loss, notice this, not everything you gain is good. Sometimes we're we're quick to say, look at this promotion, look at this job, look at this opportunity, look at this person who's come into my life, and instantly we think it's a good thing, but not always is it a good thing. Not always is it a good thing to uproot everything and just say, well, we're going to go here, here's chase this opportunity, and go after here. Not always. So we need to come back and say, wait a minute, is the Spirit leading me here? Is this where God's will is directing? Is this where God has for me? There's a story, some of you may or may not be familiar with it. There were five missionaries who decided together to go minister to a remote tribe called the Aka Indians in South America. 
They decided that we're going to pack up, we're going to move, and we're going to go, and we're going to minister to the tribe of headhunters. They were uh, 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 these, this indigenous tribe that were known for their violence. The Shell Oil Company had an airstrip and had a field, but they had pulled out because of the violence in this area. Well, these, these, these team of five missionary families with their wives, with their children, decided we're going to go here, and we're going to minister, and we're going to preach Christ to this, this group of, of lost tribe, and we're going to get them the gospel. And so this group, they, they, they all sold all their belongings. They moved to the country, and they, they were there to stay. And this happened in about the 1950s. And they decided, we're going to go there, and we're going to invest our lives into these people. One of the group who is more notable and more remembered than all the others, his name is Jim Elliott. And Jim Elliott had this amazing quote where he said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Because people would look at Jim and say, Jim, why are you going to move to that remote country? Why are you going to take your family? Why are you going to take your children? Why are you going to go over there? There's this group of people who don't want you there, who other companies have tried to go there, have been forced out. Why would you do this? And eventually he did lose his life. They did find he and the five men, and they found where their airplane had landed, and they found how they had all been slain by this tribe, and they found the spears. My dad was in a church service in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And one of the people that was there was the wife of Jim Elliott, Elizabeth Elliott. But she wasn't there alone. She had somebody else, a dark-skinned figure with him, with her. And they were touring. They were talking about the goodness of the Lord. And they were talking about how God uses difficult things to bring about good things. It was one of the tribespeople of the Aka Indians. He was a part of that raiding party who murdered these five others. And he talked about how afterwards, Elizabeth Elliot didn't decide to go back home. She decided to stay and to still reach out to those, that tribe who murdered her own family, murdered her own husband, and get them the gospel. And here my dad said it was an amazing testament to see the woman who she lost her husband because of this group. But here we're standing and here she's talking about not everything you lose is a loss because he is no fool to give up what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. What in your life would you not lose? What in your life you're saying, hey, I could give this up, but I'm not really losing. I'm not really losing that time that I invest into my family. I'm not really losing that time I invest into my children. I'm not really losing that time that I invest into God. I'm not really losing that time that I invest into my small group. I'm not really losing that time that I spend in the nursery. I'm not really losing that time that I decided to be an usher. I'm not really losing that time that I decided to be on the praise team. I'm not really losing that time where I decided to get here at the church early at 8 o'clock and help set up things. I'm not really losing time because that is time that's added to my account and God's got big things for me. And God's going to give those back in a greater abundance because I'm I'm not wasting it. Whereas some of us will spend two, three hours in front of a movie. And don't get me wrong, I love a good movie just like the next person. Hello, we're in a theater. But what's the return? What's the ROI? Some of you business people, you understand me. What's the return on investment? What's the return on the investment of every decision that you're making? What if every thought, instead of WWJD, what if it was, what's the ROI? What is the return in the investment here? What am I going to get back? And sometimes money does not equal what you can get from your family. There are certain things that you just don't get back. So here's a man who decided that, hey, I don't care what I lose. I gained so much more. And then not everything you gain is good. The Bible says this, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? 
He says, you could be the wealthiest man in the world. Bill Gates. Anybody. You, you, you take all their money. See, you have all that. He says, it's not worth it. If you lose your own soul, where's the value? So there are some things that you may gain that it's not good. There was another man by the name of John Sung. I found his book. I was in an old Mennonite library. There was a college, and I was just there looking at their library, and they were just getting rid of it. And they were said, hey, the college isn't doing so well, so we're just selling stuff. I was there in the bookstore, and I found this book, and it was by, by a man that I had never heard of. His name was John Sung, and he was an old Methodist preacher. And this Methodist preacher was actually Chinese, and his father had sent him to Ohio State University back in the 1920s to get his degree and to become an engineer and to develop himself, and he got his Ph.D. He was well-known, and today if you go to Ohio State in their library, you'll still find his doctoral uh, dissertations there. He's a brilliant scientist, and he accomplished many things, but his father was a pastor. And it was there at college that he fully gave his heart to God to follow God in whatever endeavor God had called him to. And it was there that he began to understand that God was leading him back to China to preach the gospel. And John Sung, on the way back, back then they didn't have planes, he was on a boat. But he understood that if I go back with all these degrees, that I'm going to have something that's tying me down to my past. I'm going to have something that's going to constantly, constantly keep me connected to a life that would be too easy if things get hard that I could just run to my Ph.D. and have a great job and not worry about it. Because he knew how his father lived. He knew the poverty of his family. So he made a decision. He said, my father sent me to Ohio State to get all these degrees, and I've won awards, and I have these degrees, and and I could have any job I want. He said, the only degree I'm going to keep is just one degree, and he took all his awards and all his accolades, and as the boat was sailing back to China, he threw those overboard. He only kept that Ph.D., and when he arrived, he presented it to his father, and he said, Father, I want to give this to you, but then also I want to let you know I want to follow in your footsteps, and I want to be a preacher. John Sung was called the flame in the east. God used him and men like Watchman Nee to really do a work of God that was incredible. He would preach to hundreds of thousands. He didn't live very long. He only lived to be 42. But even now, you could still trace his influence on these nations like Singapore, on nations like China and Korea and Thailand, all these countries that he would go to. And when he preached, they said it was incredible. He would get so animated, and people were just broken and just led to follow him, and they would give their lives to Christ because here was a man that he said, you know what, not everything you gain is good. Not everything you gain is good. You say, "Well, well, what are you asking me to do here? Here's what I'm saying. I'm not saying throw away your degree. I'm not saying run off to the mission field, though if you do that, I'll support you. But what I am saying is just like Paul, because Paul realized if you don't get rid of it, you'll return to it. If you don't get rid of it, you'll return to it. And for some of you, I'm not saying get rid of a degree. I'm not saying get rid of a job. I'm not saying get rid of a spouse. What I am saying is for some of you, this may be some bad habit. Let's go a little bit deeper. Can we go deeper? Okay, one of you, one of you. Uh, This side of the church, God bless you. God keep you. May his face shine upon you. I'm going to preach to the real people for a second. For some of you, you're saying, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. I understand bad habits, but what about sin? Isn't it amazing if we don't get rid of sin, how we'll go back to sin? If we don't say, you know what, I've got to do something to cut this off. I've got to cut the head off of the snake with this thing because you keep returning back to it. There are things that you just keep going back to and you hate it as much as the other person. 
There is something in your life that you're saying, I have not seen victory over this. I just keep coming back to it. Don't you think it would have been easy for the Apostle Paul to say, hey, I've got a great fallback system. But he said, no, no, I've got to count those loss. In my mind, I've got to look at those things as no longer anything of value. You don't go back to something that doesn't have value. How many of you stop and pick up pennies? I'm just curious. Raise your hands. Pick up pennies. Man, there's way more people than I expected, all right? I don't pick up a penny for nothing. And then some of you are like, that's terrible. I'm just like, it's, it's a penny. There's not a whole lot of value in it for me. I just keep on going. And some of you are like, well, that's why you broke, all right? I got my penny. I'm a penny richer than you, all right? And uh, uh, because some of us, and that, you guys messed up my illustration, man. I worked all week on that. And you just blew it. Fine. I'm going home. Uh, no, but there's things that we're like, I'm not going to go back for it. It's not worth it to me. It's not something, oh, let me try one more. Okay, my penny one didn't work. How many pick up cans? 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 Less. Okay, I do pick up cans. So there's two of us. All right, some of you are like, I don't pick up bottles. I don't pick up cans because it's not worth it to you. Why? Because there's no value to you. See, the Apostle Paul said, I got to look at those things that I don't want to go back to as valueless. And there are some people that you keep going back to that they don't bring out the best in you. And you need to start looking at them as they're valueless. They're not bad people, but they don't bring any value to your life. And you just start saying, I need to get rid of them. I need to get rid of them. Otherwise, I will return to them. And that's not just a word to the young people and to the teenagers. That's a word for some adults. That's a word for each and every one of us. There are some things that we say, I need to get rid of it. Otherwise, I keep returning to this thing. And the Apostle Paul said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get rid of these things. I'm going to count these things as no value in my life so that I don't return to these things. We've got to keep moving. We don't have a lot of time. But not only did the Apostle Paul say, hey, I'm not going I'm, I'm to keep coming back to these things because these things have no value to me. Think about the children of Israel. It took them in Exodus one night to get out of Egypt. One night, right? But it took the next 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. For 40 years, they wandered in that wilderness. For 40 years, they whined and complained. For 40 years, they struggled. For 40 years, they griped. For 40 years, they were making false idols. For 40 years, they were breaking the commandments. For 40 years, why? Because God said, hey, you fell in love with something, and I couldn't let you into the next phase of your life because you had to take care of this phase. And for some of you, you're like, why am I just stuck in this messy middle? And it's because God says, you're not willing to deal with this right now. I can't take you on until you deal with this. You can't go on to maturity you can't go on to blessing you can't go on to fullness you can't go on to life because right now you need to deal with this you need to deal with this thing and i'm not going to go around the room and say hey you do deal with this no the holy spirit will work in your heart what you need to deal with but each and every one of us we're on a process of what's called sanctification we're coming more and more like christ where god is saying hey there's this part of your life let's deal with this let's draw this out let's deal with this but then thirdly paul began to see christianity as something totally new. Notice, if you would, verse number nine. And being found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You see, Paul began to see Christianity as a relationship and not a ritual. You see, he said, hey, here's how to live. Don't live as if your Christianity is just a ritual. Don't live as just if, hey, I did my Sunday service. Hey, don't live as if, hey, I did my little devotional thing. I did my little prayer. I did my little penance. I did my little give my little money. Don't look at your Christian life as a ritual. Look at it like a 
relationship. Too often what we try to do is we try to turn everything into a ritual and we divorce our emotions from it. And so for some of you, you say church doesn't engage me. Church doesn't enthrill me. Church doesn't do anything for me because it's a ritual for you. It's I've got to dot my I's and I've got to cross my T's and I've got to show up and I've got to do this. And anybody, I would hate that. I wouldn't even want to show up because you've turned what should be a relationship, something you enjoy, something has give and take, and you've turned it into a ritual that you just got to perform, you just got to do, and you just have to do this, and you're missing out on it. And the Apostle Paul says that I may know him. He wanted a relationship. He said that I may know the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, that I may have this close abiding relationship with Jesus, that he and I would be close, that he and I would talk, that he and I would fellowship, that as I go to church, it's not a ritual for me, it's a relationship building time for me, that as I spend time with him in the word of God, it's not just something I just do just because I got to make my wife happy or I got to make the pastor happy. It's because there's something that God does when I get alone with him. He speaks to me. He talks to me. He shares with me how he loves me, how he cares about me. And I start to grow and I feel life and I feel excitement. Can I tell you this? I I have my bad days too. I have my days where I'm just like, God, are, are you really there? And trust me, they're more often than I like to admit. But I've found that the time that I'll just go, and I, I'm not the type that I can sit down and pray because I will fall asleep, all right? Just real talk, okay? So for me, I need to walk and talk with the Lord. So sometimes I'll come out here to the mall, and I'll just do some laps around the mall. I'll just walk around the mall, and I just pray, God, would you use our church? God, would you do something special? And, and God, would you turn our church into something great for you? I don't care how many people are there. I don't care what you do, but God, you just got to do something. As I start praying and as I start walking, I notice something. I start walking a little bit faster. And then I'm not, you know me, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm not the most introverted guy. I'm kind of extroverted. And so as I walk, I start praying, and then, and then I start kind of moving a little bit. My hands start going, and then, and then I just keep talking. I'll look up and down. And then I was doing this the other day, and I was making these walks around. And then you, know, you just start getting people that are walking like, you know, they, 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 hey, I don't know what that guy's on. I don't know what needs help. You know, you just get people looking at you. It's kind of interesting, you know. And maybe, maybe that's not you, but... When it becomes a relationship, there's something where you just don't notice anybody else. Come on, guys. When we were on a first date with the wife that we married, come on. It didn't matter what we were eating. It didn't matter where we were. It was all about them. Shakespeare said if a woman is not truly beautiful, um, uh, he said, I'm messing it up. He said, if you hear everything a woman says, she is not truly beautiful. So if your wife says, you're not listening to me, it's because, baby, I'm just lost in your beauty. All right? I, you know, it's just awesome. I Giving out free stuff, guys. Write this down. Use it, okay? We are here to bless your family, okay? Man, want you to have a good, good marriage, all right? And so I, I, when it comes to that, when you're just lost in the relationship, it just takes everything else out of it. Where you're just kind of like, I'm just enjoying this time with this person. This become real. God wants that for our Christianity. The Apostle Paul said, I was a Pharisee. He followed religion. Religion is man's attempt to get to God. That's all that religion is. And religion doesn't work. Southridge is not about religion. It's not. We're about a relationship. And I know sometimes I may get loud and I get fiery. And it's because I'm passionate about it. And forgive me if I seem mean or mean-spirited. It's not my nature. It's not my, it's not my heart. My heart is for you to get something. My heart is for you to see something in a different light, to change our mindset, to change our mentality, to see that God has so much for us. That if we would just say, you know what, I'm going to stop with the religious duty. And some people... Don't 
don't read into the message something that you think, well, that this is what he's trying to say. Some people will take, well, then Christianity is on my terms. And that's what we have a lot of today, that I'll follow God, but I'll do it on my terms. I'll go to church when I want to. I'll read the Bible when I want to. I'll pray when I want to. And I'm not saying it's Christianity your terms, but I am saying turn it into a relationship. And when a relationship, you just can't wait to be with that person. You can't wait to spend that time together. You can't wait to be closer together with this relationship. But the Apostle Paul said something about every relationship. And we'll see how much time we have to get into it. He said that I may know him and the fellowship of his suffering. Now, why would he say suffering? Why would he say suffering? Why? Why you got to talk about suffering? Because all of us, we're going to have family members that are going to be sick and they're going to pass on. And our one request will be at the doctor, be at the nurses, will be, I don't want them to suffer. Come on, we do it with our pets. We don't want our pets to suffer. We don't want anybody to suffer. There's something very anti-American about suffering. Come on, we've got every drug imaginable. We, we medicate and we, we do everything we can to avoid suffering. We don't want anybody to suffer. So why would the Apostle Paul say that I may fellowship in your suffering? Because I think he understood something about every relationship. Every relationship, there's going to be pain. Even in Christianity, there's going to be pain. But I found that there is a connection between our pain and our progress. That nothing ever happens in life without pain. The women in here that have given birth to children, there was a lot of pain. There's no progress without pain. If you got a promotion, you worked. There was some pain. You did well in the football team, basketball team, sports team. There was some pain. Because there is a connection between progress and pain. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, in this relationship, I want to know you more. But the Apostle Paul knew something. To know somebody better means there's going to be pain. I love this quote I found up at Bob Marler this week. He said, the truth is, everybody is going to hurt you. You just got to find the ones worth hurting for. It's like, wow, that could be in the Bible somewhere. I, I don't know what Bob Marlowe was on, but that was good. Every year, like, I know what he was on. You see, when we face our pain, that's where God has opened up this doorway to progress in our life. You see, pain will do one of two things. It will either shatter you or it'll shape you. And if you let the pain, it'll shatter you. It'll break you down. You will quit and you will stop. You will say, where's the exit right now? That's what happens to some sometimes younger Christians. Because anybody that's been a long-time Christian, you know pain. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, beware of these legalists. Beware of them. They'll cause pain just like everybody else. But he says, hey, as we follow Christ, we follow pain. But I began to study that word fellowship. It's, it's got a dual meaning. It's the word koinonia in the Greek. It not only means community, but it also means benefit. He was talking about the fact that there is a benefit to pain. I was like, God, where is the benefit to pain? The reality is that pain really is a gift. There really is something to pain. You don't have pain. You don't have feeling. The same synapses that communicate pleasure communicate pain. You don't have pleasure. You don't have pain. You can't have one without the other. The other. 
we looked at leprosy, and I've taught this before, that we always thought leprosy was just a disease where your nose fell off, your ear fell off, and toes fell off, and that's, that's why, you know, just, you just started falling apart because you got leprosy. The reality is that's not it at all. Leprosy attacks your nervous system. You can't feel anything. So this is disturbing, but a little child could be biting on their tongue and bite their tongue off, and they wouldn't feel it. A person that's a leper could touch a hot stove and never know it. What happens is, since they don't know it, they don't treat the wound. And then when it goes untreated, it gets infected. And it gets worse and worse. And so, pain is that gift. Apostle Paul says, that I, that I may know you more. You see, pain not only blinds us from seeing the point, but it also blinds us from sometimes seeing the purpose. And the reason we look at pain, the reason we look at it is this last thing. We've got to wrap it up. I want to leave you with this thought. Instead of following our passion or finding our passion following it, maybe we should try finding people's pain and start fixing it. Because the Apostle Paul said that I may fellowship of his suffering, be made conformable unto his death. How to live before you die. It starts with, first of all, Stop reaching for the rejects. Stop reaching for things that there's no ROI here. But then also realize that there are some things we need to get rid of. Otherwise, we're going to return to it. And then begin to see Christianity as a relationship, no longer as a ritual. Let's pray.